Hello everybody, this is the Value Line Observer with the Value Guys. I'm Val Hughes, and Vern Value is not here today, uh, which I'll get into in a minute. But we are 25-year Wall Street veterans. You've seen our faces on TV, you've seen us quoted in the press. Our bosses would never allow us to give our candid views on these stocks, so we've disguised our voices, taken on secret identities, and uh, hence uh, the Value Guys. Uh, disclosures are at our website, www.thevalueguys.com. Remember, this is for entertainment purposes only, even if it's not entertaining, and we're very open about that. And we also uh, usually own these stocks. Many times uh, we have some conflicts, supposedly, our lawyers say to tell you. Uh, but, uh, you know, in our roles as uh, analysts and portfolio managers, we do tend to talk about the stocks uh, that we own. Uh, this week, we're going to be looking at the June 22, 2007 edition of the Value Line Investment Survey. And uh, before I get into that, I ought to say, uh, listen, my co-host, uh, Vern Value, is uh, off the radar. He's in a jungle somewhere, uh, and uh, we couldn't hook up this week. So it's really the first time in about two years that Vern has not been on the show. And... Uh, you know, what have you, we're just going to forge ahead here. Uh, we've been getting a lot of mail uh, lately, email uh, at uh, val at thevalueguys.com. And it seems like uh, we've got a lot of people that like us to go through stocks a little more carefully uh, with uh, less uh, childish banter between us. Although, uh, you know, we've been getting together Friday afternoons for about 25 years. We have a couple of drinks. We read value lines, so you're really just getting in on a... Uh, you know, process that's uh, uh, been going on a long time. Uh, and then we have another group that uh, uh, thinks we ought to be, uh, you know, comedians. Now, those are just our parents, you know, and friends. But uh, in any case, what we try to do here is just give a little color on some value line, uh, uh, you know, reports. Uh, it's the type of a publication that's been looked at by value guys for many many years it's on the shelf of most uh, serious investors on the value side of the table and uh, and so we just try to go through here pick out a couple of ideas uh, that have caught our eye and uh, give you some insight onto that uh, this week without uh, Vern here uh, it's going to be a shorter show I have to say uh, so um, you know I've got a couple here this week they're looking at aerospace defense steel, insurance, banks, you know, banks I've talked about here. All our shows now are indexed by ticker. So on uh, particularly uh, uh, streetiq.com, which is a great resource for financial podcast uh, uh, shows, uh, they've got our tickers indexed there. If you drag our XML code into Excel, you get uh, a nice report that shows all the shows and uh, all the tickers so that's something to do we've got about a year and a half of shows up now and um, you know that's a lot of content you can go back and you know while some of these things get uh, expensive uh, from time to time and we might encourage you to sell them I think there's a lot of good work out there you could take a look at still um, and benefit from that and in some way who knows I don't know anyway okay uh, I've taken a couple this week from the uh, metal fabricating industry, and the theme there continues to be uh, really worldwide. We've got uh, a great expansion going on worldwide. Some economists recently I saw showed 5% global growth uh, over the next few years. A lot of that's China, of course, India cranking up. 
uh, pretty benign interest rates worldwide, and that's creating you know an environment for innovation and growth. Um, a lot of costs are coming out of the system with the internet and uh, reduced need for duplicate efforts around the world. It's easier to collaborate, all kinds of things we've talked about here before. Um, but in the case of a couple of these, uh, the first one I'm going to talk about is Timken, uh, the Timken Company, page 572. This is an old, old company. Uh, and what they do is they manufacture, this is just out of value line, tapered and needle roller bearings for the auto machinery and rail industries so you know old line America and the theme here is that with global growth going on um, you know some of these great old manufacturers are reaching the point where they can finally get some price increases there's not a lot of new capacity going in and these guys are you know world-renowned for having some of the best bearings uh, the weight bearing loads on almost anything that has some kind of weight on a on a wheel uh, they they provide uh, product to let's see uh, aircraft transportation uh, machinery you know I already mentioned a couple of these foreign operations are 32 percent of sales and I like that they're getting a little more diversified around the world officers and directors own 10 percent and Lord Abbott a great value shop uh, owns eight percent of the stock. Uh, what am I attracted to here? Well, first, Value Line doesn't like it. It's rated four. The momentum here hasn't been that great. It's trading at uh, 13 times forward earnings, um, a 32% discount to the average multiple. So valuation is very interesting. Cash flow per share here projected in uh, 07 at 470 a share, 495 in 08. The stock at 34. Um, CapEx is heavy, so you chew up a lot of that gross cash flow on spending, but, um, you know, that's apt to be a near-term uh, boost to uh, uh, you know, capital uh, additions and should roll off, I think, over the next couple of years. Their returns on capital are moving into, a, you know, a more respectable range, a low teens, 25% debt to cap, so they're not overly levered. Uh, that leads to a you know mid-teens return on equity. So this is a very solid company, um, and I just think you're at that part of the cycle where you're apt to get at least a few more years of decent growth here in the U.S. and continuing growth around the world. Uh, some of the details here: Value Line is looking for you know record results in steel, which is offsetting weakness in automotive. Uh, in fact, automotive production capacities moved to the energy market. That looks good. It says here quarterly earnings comparisons are not likely to turn positive until the second half. Well, uh, July seems like it's coming up here, ladies and gentlemen, so that wouldn't bother me at all. I'd buy into that easily. Uh, they're continuing to build new facilities, so that's some of this CapEx in China and India, uh, where growth is rapid, 17% growth in the first quarter there, and uh, they're improving their rolling mill capabilities here in the U.S., getting uh, a broader range of products, which I'm sure is helping to leverage their sales force. Um, and they're turning around losses in their automotive division. So a lot of positives. Value Line says the shares are untimely. Uh, you know, I think you got a decent valuation story, some expansion into China, and, uh, you know, that can't be bad over the near term. And the stock really has underperformed the market. So I take a little bit of a position on this, a couple percent in a diversified portfolio or a percent. Uh, Timken, ticker, TKR.
So that's page 572. Uh, moving along. Um, Ampco Pit, ticker AP. Now, you know a company's been around a long time when they get a simple uh, ticker like that. They must be older than A&P, who might have wanted this ticker. Now, this one... It's on page 575. They're also in this general steel category. It's an old line company out of Pittsburgh. Uh, I'm sure it's, you know, hundreds of years old uh, or since the invention of steel anyway, which is probably the late 1800s for Pittsburgh. And, uh, you know, the stock's been up a lot, so that doesn't typically attract me. But what I like right here is that we've seen a uh, improvement in the top line so sales per share projected at 37 next year up from 18 even five years ago though so that's some pretty good uh, growth and uh, you've seen a dramatic improvement in returns on capital which are running at 18 percent 20 percent this year and last uh, and that's with no debt this company has absolutely no debt stock at 36 so it's trading about nine times gross cash flow and capital spending here is very modest, 75 cents a share. So I'm getting into the, you know, 370 per share range in free cash flow, stock at 36. So that's pretty exciting to me. Um, no uh, history here of them squandering shareholder money, really. The share count's been stable. And you've got a nice trend of improving operating margins and improving returns. Uh, they are... Uh, what they do is primarily a producer of forged hardened steel rolls and cast rolls for use in the steel and aluminum industries. Um, let's see here. You know, that's pretty general. Now, Gabelli owns 17% of the stock. Uh, you know, Mario Gabelli started as an auto analyst and uh, has gone on to be a great uh, value investor over the years. Officers and directors here own 30%. So, you know, that is uh, something that catches my interest for sure. And Value Line themselves say everything's coming together for Amco uh, Pitt. Uh, Eye-catching sales and profit numbers. Wow. Uh, this year's opening quarter was uh, very strong. Revenues up 27%. Earnings up 67%. Well, that's not sustainable and was probably a you know, simple year-over-year -year comparison. Uh, we think the prosperity will last for some time. Well, they've got this thing rated three. That doesn't make any sense, but what have you. Uh, we're patient investors here at the Value Guys. Um, what else does it say here? They're going to easily post record results. Numbers should be better in 08. They've got air and liquid handling lines, which are running below capacity, so that'll prove to be an improvement to operating margin next year. Uh, let's see. Yeah, I, I don't see any bad news here. They're raising their long-term sites. The stock has caught the eye of Wall Street. Well, obviously, it's up a lot. Uh, so I wouldn't let the past scare me here. This company continues to drive cash flow per share. They've obviously discovered some rich vein of business here. Um, and with directors and officers owning that much, um, there's a lot more to know here. So I'd be spending a little time on this. I don't know anything other than what I'm reading here. Uh, let's see, even Value Line's predicting 22% earnings growth over the next few years, 18% cash flow growth. Earnings comparisons look like they'll be sluggish next year, 
but conceivably this company has some room to increase the dividend, which is now generating a 1.6% a yield. Um, so, uh, you know, good balance sheet, great cash flow. It looks like the only reason to fear this is that it's up a lot and it might come down, but I don't see uh, any reason for that near term unless, you know, the global economy gets uh, tough. And uh, it looks like all systems go. Modest interest rates and, a, 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 you know, a world awash in capital um, are driving... Uh, innovation and growth, uh, not to mention that you have a lot of you know, economic freedom in China that you didn't have even 10 years ago, and that's obviously proving to be um, a recipe for growth. So in any case, Amco Pit, ticker AP, page 575. Uh, I'm kind of missing Vern right now. He usually has some interesting, thoughtful comment to throw in right now, or at least helps the show be entertaining. I don't know. Uh, it's hard to be that entertaining here, although this is, I assure you, uh, for entertainment purposes only. At least that's what my attorney tells me to say. And it's very early morning. Uh, you know, as Vern and I were trying to connect the show, uh, we went to great lengths to do so. And, uh, you know, so we delayed the show in hopes of getting Vern on, but uh, he's just proven to be uh, in a... Uh, dark cave of uh, incommunicado uh, right now. So, listen, he'll be back uh, maybe next week uh, if he can manage to find his way out of the jungle. Uh, okay, let's switch gears a little bit here. Uh, one of my favorite themes is uh, health care, and the reason is is you've got a big wind of demographic changes at your back, and, uh, you know, in a world that's hard to predict, demographics and the aging of the population seems to be one of them. We also know that as people age, particularly the boomers, uh, they're you know, going to extreme lengths to extend lifespans, certainly quality of lifespans, and they're spending money uh, because they do know you can't take it with you, many of them more than ever did before. And so you're, you know, you're going to see rising percentages of GDP spent on health care, and it doesn't mean uh, things are out of control, although that's a side note, they are, and we've talked about that. But you basically have demographic uh, choices being spent on health care, whereas uh, if you had an extremely young population, you might see a surge in a percent of GDP spent on, you know, a pizza and, uh, and, and comic books or something. But um, now the problem with health care, of course, is that we don't have a free market for health care. And we've talked about this before. In most industries that uh, drive productivity, consumers are in a position to either look for the, the best value for a given quality or the best quality for a given price. And in healthcare, you can't really do that. You can't shop for a doctor on price. You can't shop for a doctor on quality. And so when you take away those tools of consumer choices, um, you're going to get a, a system that's simply supply-driven. And if any of you out there know about a supply curve, it just goes up. Uh, the more quantity of uh, a given product you want, the, the higher the price goes. And it's really the discipline of the demand curve that leads to, you know, higher quantities driving down uh, price. Uh, and that's the beauty of the demand curve. In healthcare, it's largely been taken away. The HMO industry serves as a little bit of a buffer. They've got guys trying to get the best 
quality out there, but then you have doctors' lobbies that say, hey, these HMOs are interfering with my patient care, and that puts kind of a damper on it. Um, you know, if anyone who's listening to this is in a position to get the word out that we need more consumer information about uh, the quality of health care from various providers or the price of health care from various providers, you know, that's going to solve a whole lot of problems. There's other areas in the economy that are as big as a percent of GDP as is health care, uh, but people seem to have that, you know, in check uh, simply because they, they know how to shop and they can get a value equation that equates to where they want to be on the curve. The uh, percentage of quality and price, you know, there's a lot of spots you can choose, but the point is you get to choose, and in healthcare, that's been taken away. So I do think there are going to be some, um, you know, potential improvements in productivity over time as our society figures out how to introduce uh, these consumer-driven disciplines um, into the supply uh, of, of health care. Um, that said, I've taken a look at all the stocks in here this week, and uh, one, uh, two caught my eye. The first one is a company called HealthNet, and I have to say I've never heard of this. Ticker HNT, uh, page 638 in this week's value line. And, uh, you know, what am I attracted to? Well, first is the multiple, 15 times forward earnings, 20% discount to the average stock. You know, that in healthcare, if you can find something like that, um, you know, it's worth taking a look at. Then I look down at the returns on capital and equity. You know, these things are running strong. They're running high teens. Uh, they hit 20% last year on both. The company has um, only 16% of capital is debt. That's very modest. And uh, I see a little bit of a history here of the company, you know, paying down debt from very high levels seven, eight years ago, although it's been stable the last couple. Um, operating margins here are very uh, low but stable in the 4 or 5%. And while I prefer higher operating margins because they suggest uh, some type of proprietary product, here low margins suggest the opposite, kind of a commodity product, but their returns on capital being so high suggest they've got a better system for delivering that commodity product. And while they're, um, you know, pricing, just from these margins, you can tell their pricing is competitive. Um, it must be something about their organizational skills that lead to the ability to drive high returns on capital, even though they have low margins, and that's something called asset turnover. Uh, what do these guys do? They're the largely, largest publicly traded managed care company, uh, or one of the largest. It's HMO, POS, and insured PPO and government contracts, etc. 6.3 million individuals in 27 states. Uh, officers and directors own 3.3%. Leg Mason owns 18. Uh, we've talked about them on the show. They do a pretty good job over time. Uh, Wellington, FMR, which is Fidelity. Uh, you know, there's some well-known shareholders in here. The market cap is $6 billion, so it's going to end up in some portfolios. Uh, I noticed here that they do have $8 a share in cash. You can see that over in the little balance sheet that uh, Value Line gives you along the left side where it says current position. $949 million in cash on 112 million shares is about 8 bucks. And then I'm noticing they've got a billion three in investments. Uh, you know, now that may just offset these uh, reserves that they have 
which I'm assuming are to provide health care. Um, you know, what's going on here? Well, uh, profits are continuing to be fueled by, according to Value Line, solid Medicare enrollments. Well, that's going to be sustainable. Uh, they have a pretty good enrollment effort going. They're going to add... Uh, Let's see, 15% to, to that population. Um, they've got a firm footprint, it says, in several high population areas. Well, to me, in commodity businesses, you've got to be where the people are and where the populations are growing, and that gives you an opportunity to improve your productivity just of systems. And that appears to be what they're doing. Prospects for 08 appear solid. Uh, they've got a solid foothold in U.S. Department of Defense and government um, businesses and you know government continues to be a growth sector certainly defense is coming off a low as a percentage of GDP uh, right at the end of the Clinton years and of course under Bush uh, we've seen the uh, uh, percentage GDP spent on defense uh, rising and yet it's still below most of the years during uh, uh, the Reagan and, and Clinton years and uh, we're, so we're apt to get a few years of return on that, particularly as they replenish the military. Uh, so, you know, strong balance sheet, health care providers, return on capital tells me they're doing something much better than other people. And, uh, you know, I own a little bit of this, just for the wind at my back and the valuation. I don't know much else about it, although uh, I probably will take a look at this. I don't own this, and i got to get it on the radar. It's $6 billion, as I said, so... You know, I'm typically personally going to be more at the small cap end, but I like this one. HNT, I think you can buy a percent or two, put it away, and uh, I think you'll come out fine on that. Okay, finally, um, page 641, something called Lab Corp of America, ticker LH. Now, Value Line rates this two, and so uh, I, I like it too. That's a little bit unusual for me. What am I attracted to? Well, first, again, valuation, something in healthcare, uh, trading at, uh, you know, in this case, a market multiple and generating, you know, 26% operating margins. That's something very proprietary. Uh, 19, 20% returns on capital, uh, you know, very, uh, uh, very, very respectable. 25% debt to cap, that's very modest. And according to Value Line, they're looking at 13% cash flow growth over the next five years, 15% earnings growth. Now, what do these guys do? They're one of the nation's largest independent clinical laboratory companies, providing a full range of clinical and anatomical tests to individual physicians, managed care organizations, hospitals, clinics, etc. Well, you know, these guys are selling right into the mainstream of uh, increasing uh, demand. In fact, it's not even the consumer they're selling to, it's the providers. So as the providers, uh, you know, struggle to maintain best-of-class care and also uh, work hard to avoid being sued for improper care, particularly when they all know they're being so well paid, the answer is test after test after test. And uh, these guys have, it says, 36 full-service laboratories around the country and over 1,700 service sites. So if they work like a traditional supplier to the medical community, you know, they've got offices everywhere that can deliver anything the doctor needs to their, you know, site uh, in order to promote 
uh, use. And, of course, their margins here tell you they have a terrific return on the cost of goods. So it's a very service-intensive business, and these, uh, uh, these service sites are no doubt the way they do that. They've got 25,000 employees. You know, maybe I have heard about these guys, and I don't recall. Let me see here. Formed in 1995 merger of Roche Biomedical Labs and National Health Laboratories Holdings. So, uh, you know, that's a pretty good pedigree. And, uh, uh, you know, I think these guys are really on to something. The chart is just sort of straight up, uh, even on a relative basis. And while that traditionally isn't something that would attract me, um, here I think you have this backdrop of demographic demand that's so highly predictable uh, that there's an element of you know certainty to this, uh, not you know di di much different than, than a, a government bond. In fact, I think that the you know the predictability of demographics may be even better than the predictability of uh, the government's ability to pay back debt. Although I guess you know having the right to print money is kind of a helpful tool uh, there. Uh, in any case, these guys are, you know, providing a utility product into the mainstream of healthcare providers, selling at a market multiple, very little debt, good growth, and I could, I could really own a, a few percentage of this. The market cap is nine billion. So again, it's bigger than I like. So a lot of what you're buying here is just the stability, and at a market multiple, I think that's a pretty good deal. Lab Corp of America ticker LH. And ladies and gentlemen, uh, listen, I've managed to go on and on even without Vern. Uh, and that's, uh, you know, I guess, you know, not that hard for me to do. So thanks for listening in. This has been uh, the Value Line Observer with just one value guy this week. Check out our website, www.thevalueguys.com. we got a lot of great material out there. And uh, this has been the June 22nd, 2007 uh, you know, edition of the show uh, and uh, our look through the Value Line Investment Survey. Please check back next week uh, for another exciting edition of the Value Line Observer. Thanks very much, everybody.